0: This
1: is the Patriots Catch 22 podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Just nailed it. Joined as always 22. by our spar. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it. No risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar
0: and Alex Barth whoever is is going to have an easier time yeah. than the guy right now. Shocker.
1: Right, you can make it easier on the quarterback. I thought Well, no, that's do a dirty thing. Himself. Don't you dare say. Don't say you that. You should get the quarterback no, help. No. Cuz that he means be, he's not good. You should do all this.
0: Welcome into a brand new Catch 22. Alex Barth in the host chair today because Evan Lazar is in Germany as the Patriots get ready to take on the Colts on Sunday. Evan made the trip out. Early. I mean, he's on the show. But I'm the host chair because I'm the one that's Deutschland. back Deutschland, here I am. I'm here. Evan is in Deutschland. Is it
1: Guten Tag? Guten Tag. That's good morning, right? Uh, no, uh, Guten Morgen is good morning, but here it's Guten Tag because it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So what is Guten Tag?
0: Is that like good afternoon? Good afternoon. Good day? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Guten Morgen, Guten Tag. Yes.
1: That's probably as much German as I'm going to try to speak. We'll see if Evan can slip any in. <laughs> But we're gonna. I've learned a little bit out here. You know, you gotta gotta survive these streets. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta you gotta go out there and learn a little bit. So I got some words for you. We can drop.
0: Have have you been able to order food? That to me is like the big one. I remember (laughs) I went up to Quebec when I was in high school, and I took French in high school. And I went up to Quebec, and I was so proud of myself when I ordered a sandwich completely in French. I probably butchered it. Like I didn't get what I wanted, but I, I the transaction happened. So that to me is the big test. Have you ordered food in German yet?
1: Uh, I have ordered food. I it, honestly, a, a lot of people speak English over here. Most people, I would no, say. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I
0: know you can order food speaking English. I've seen you do that. I would hope you can do that. <laughs> have you ordered
1: food speaking German? No, I haven't. Okay. But you're right. I I should try. Maybe I'll try for dinner tonight. See if to you can do that once full... by the end of the trip, and let us know how. Yeah, it Yeah, I think I can pull it
0: off. Maybe. <laughs> so Evan is in Germany. You're at? Is it Patriots House? You guys have like a yes. setup there?
1: Yeah. So we're. I'm in. Patriots House, H-A-U-S, of course, right. House uh, right now. And uh, it's a great crowd. We got a lot of German uh, Patriots fans, which is pretty cool because, you know, Alex, like people call from Europe and call from different places in the world. So it's it's cool to see a different group of fans. And we got Pat Patriot here. We got Vince Wilfork. Uh, I would assume Sebastian Vollmer is around here somewhere as well with Marcus Kuhn. Uh, so we got a, a lot of different uh, things going on, and there's food, there's, uh, you know, we got this whole setup with the stage and everything, and then Unfiltered will be up here on, on video, so you'll be able to see into it a little bit when we do Unfiltered after this, and uh, we uh, have a whole setup up here, so it's it's pretty fun, you know, it's been a, a great a couple days here, honestly, I, the, the jet lag, of course, as you can imagine, Barth has been a little bit tough, Yeah, but now we'll that, we're, that we're through... Now we're through that part of it for the most part, I'd say, but uh, I had never been. I've never been to Europe in my life, so I checked that box off, and I have never been like ahead in time-wise, right? I, you know, I've know, i been right. to the West Coast, as you know, a billion times, but that's going back. So going ahead is a whole different animal, I'll, I'll tell you that. It's very, very weird to wake up here and it's the middle of the night back home and things like that. But it's it, the atmosphere is great here, uh, you know, it's kind of like a Super Bowl where it's going to turn up as we get closer and closer to the game. Um, but there's a ton of Patriots fans here, even with the you know, state of the team, which I think says a lot about the fan base.
0: What it, What is like the, the, the football buzz there? Because they had a game last week, a good game, Chiefs and Dolphins, and just the overall football buzz in the city right now.
1: I think it's great. Like I said, there, what's been really impressive, I would say, is you don't recognize how many fans – that the Patriots have over here in Europe and we've had so many people that are either from Germany and live in Germany currently but even people from the UK or people um, from other parts of Europe that are coming or migrating over here for the game and, and coming out for the week or a couple days before the game as well to, to come here so it's it's definitely interesting and I think that it, it's there's certainly a lot of people that are starting to to want to know football, and football I think is is getting more and more popular over here. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think what it's like really, you know, Saturday before the game, and then obviously Sunday at the game. The atmosphere for uh, the Chiefs game was apparently incredible. I got to
0: say, so uh, T- Tamara Brown just tweeted out a picture <laughs> of you sitting up on that stage all. <laughs> The yep. big chairs. That's a good one. Um, yep. Last one, and then we can get to the football of it. I'm just curious. So, it's, this state they're holding games at, at, at this stadium in Frankfurt. It's uh, and I'm blanking on the name of the stadium right now. I should know this. Deutsche, I wrote Bank. It this morning. Deutsche Bank. Deutsche stadium, Bank game right. Park have you gotten to like check out the stadium or how's the stadium as a football venue from what you have heard
1: so we've uh, we've drone past it and then obviously some of our team has uh, you know done some some prelim scouting right to just make sure that they have the lay of the land and everything hello bradley bradley just waving hi saying hi to you too barth hey, bradley. and uh yeah so there we have been to the stadium or are driven to the stadium but tomorrow, we'll, we'll really get uh, boots on the ground when the team arrives, and then we'll, we'll be at the stadium a little bit tomorrow. But we've, we've seen it, and it, it's an impressive stadium. We actually, when we flew in uh, the other night, or the other morning, I guess I should say here, uh, you could see it from as we were landing. And so you got that nice bird's eye view of, of the stadium, which was pretty cool. And uh, I would say it's uh, (laughs) everybody's just looking at me right now, like, what the hell is going on? Uh, But, yeah, it's it's been pretty cool. And I would say that uh, we can probably tell you more about the actual stadium itself tomorrow. Uh, But in general, I I think what's cool about the stadium is it's kind of got like covering on the outside, but then the inside is open air. Yeah. So there's a roof, but it's open uh, right now. And I think it, I'm hoping it's going to be open for the game.
0: Wait, it's It's got one of those big scoreboards, too. I saw that, which I know last yes. week punters were hitting yes. the scoreboard last week. So, you know, I'm excited about that. But we can get into the Patriots playing the Colts in that stadium in a little bit. It's, it's time now we get into, as we usually do uh, from last week, the Patriots and the Commanders, a 2017 game. Also, you want to call in, talk with us. 855-PATS-500 is the phone number, 855 728 7500 If you want to call in and chat with us, email webradio at patriots.com. We'll get into the Commanders game a little bit. We'll get into to the Colts game ahead. Evan, there was also some big uh, pre-draft news this week. Not necessarily about any of the players, but a change in the pre-draft process that I think people who listen to this show and people who are fans of this show, I think it's relevant to them, so we'll touch on that a little bit at the end of the show, plus whatever you guys want to talk about, but you know, as we get into the the Patriots-Commanders game from last week, a close game, um, I guess we'll just start there. A close game against what felt like two evenly matched teams, but the Patriots came up short. Is that sort of your read on it?
1: Yeah, I, I thought that was exactly what it was, and I, the big thing, and kind of spinning it forward too to this, this game in Germany, it, it just seemed like Look, I think everybody looks at the Patriots the last couple of years and sees this fall from grace that has slowly gotten to this point to where they're a two and seven football team. But what had kept them afloat, I felt like last year, even winning eight games and like looking back on last year, Barth, doesn't it feel kind of crazy that that team managed to win eight games? Yeah. And then the year before that, they won ten and made the playoffs. And it always felt like they had this level of fundamentals of locked-in execution in terms of assignments and things like that that even if they got beat even if they weren't the better team that day they were still able to win these games like this one against the commanders you know a second-year quarterback is still finding his way in the league and Sam Howell and at home and you just felt like the Patriots would always pull those types of games out in the end and i think what we've seen is just the fundamentals and the assignments and the mental part of the game and to an extent as well a lot of that has just fallen by the wayside it feels like with this team and that's where i'm at with them i think we talked so much on this show uh, about personnel and missteps by the build the gm side of things but now you have to look at this team and start to think about are they well-coached from a fundamental perspective? Are they sound? Are they uh, understanding the, the game plan and the concepts and things like that? And, and this game is particularly on defense. Offense, I think they still had their issues based off of mo- mainly talent, right? You know, just right. execution, quarterback it, play, it's talent.
0: funny. I would actually say in terms of coaching, one thing that stood out as a positive in this game, and, and we'll get to ups and downs in a little bit, but I'll kind of spoil one of mine here, was – the offensive line in just that they were down Trent Brown who's been their best lineman they were facing a team that even after trading away two of their best pass rushers, still has a very formidable defensive front yeah they did get bailed out on a week roughing the passer call but that felt like the only massive breakdown there were some little issues here and there but to lose Trent Brown have to turn a Connor McDermott who wasn't even on the roster three weeks ago and hold up as a whole the way they did against Washington. Again, there were the blips here and there, but to hold up the way they did as a whole, I think says that, you know, is a good job on the coaching staff. Now the offensive line coach, Adrian Clem is going to be away from the team here. Bill Belichick said earlier this week for a little while, it's a health issue. Bill didn't, and he didn't need to, you know, go beyond that. I get that there's privacy things. And obviously we hope, you know, the best for Adrian Clem and whatever he's dealing with. It's been a weird season for these kind of things, especially on the offensive line, Calvin Anderson, Now missing time for the second time this year due to an illness in in Clem, but I I thought the offensive line in that sense left off in a good way, but besides that, I agree with you. I think there were opportunities left on the table or just attempts at things that, like they're running bubble screens to Juju Smith-Schuster. It's something they tried early in the year, it didn't work, and it was like, all right, you tried it, it didn't work, they hadn't gone back to it, and I get that. We, We criticized them when they did it, but especially early in the season that's what you do you're trying thing it's a feeling out process didn't work it seemed like they moved on and now maybe it's because of injuries or whatever those kind of plays are coming back and i I thought that was interesting
1: yeah i think the offensive line is a great point and we we talked so much about the quarterback and about mac and i think you and i have have been labeled mac apologists at times the last two weeks pressure on the quarterback has not been a major issue Even without Trent Brown last week, the pressure rate was kept in manageable range. It was was realistic. They weren't, you know,
0: the the 90s Cowboys, but it was realistic.
1: Yeah, and I I think that when you start to look at it uh, on this film, uh, the biggest thing with Mac Jones is that he just doesn't seem to be seeing the field as well as he normally does. And his his timing, uh, where everything is lined up for him to make throws down the field, Uh, it's all sped up everything is sped up about the quarterback right now his reads are sped up his decisions are sped up his feet are unsettled and he just looks like he's always in a rush and if there's one thing that I could look at if I was Bill O'Brien I think these next eight games the way I feel about it Alex is that Mac is auditioning for his job in 2024 over the last eight games of the season not necessarily in wins and losses but just in terms of there's two different directions that this team could go from here right they could either c- bring mac back draft marvin harrison jr sign t higgins draft a tackle and try to just build it, this thing up around him With they should have done last hope, year yeah and hope that that makes the quarterback look better a la miami a la san francisco all the teams that we've talked about in the past or you feel like you have to start all over at the quarterback position with, with the draft pick or what have you and i feel like these next eight games are an audition for mac to to make his case and and if i can just add to that
0: yeah i and i've said this before this isn't a new take but i think it ties in on top of auditioning for his job and i know you said that that's independent of wins and losses to an extent it is he can play quarterback at a higher level and the team could still very well end up losing games he played at a high level early this year in games that they lost but there's also this element of he needs to keep them out of position to draft his replacement if they yeah. end up, they as we sit here today, they'd have the fifth pick. Let's say Drake May is is the fifth is, is on the board at five. They can't not take him. So Mac needs to get this team some wins so that guys like Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix are off the board, and then you're looking at Joe Alt, you're looking at Fashanu Maybe it's not Marvin Harrison, but Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, as being the kind of guy that's gonna uh, make more sense as the addition to add to Mac rather than to bring in the next guy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, he needs to prove, or whether he he plays them out of that position or what, right. whatever, that he he should be in the mix in twenty twenty four. And I know a lot of people ha- have made their minds up about Mac. Like they've written him off, and they say you know, are saying that they immediately need to move on. And I've been of the school of thought, as, as you know, that I I think they haven't done enough to add around him. And I still feel that way to an extent. But I also look at. A team like the Houston Texans right now for example that game I don't know how much of, of that game you you got to watch but I just watched some of the highlights yeah I went back and checked it out. on our way over here CJ Stroud is making that team relevant right yes. now. he has flipped the switch in Houston and whether it's sustainable and whether it goes on to be a, a, in a franchise quarterback type of thing he looks like he is going on to have a hell of a career in the NFL and sometimes just getting that type of player, even if it's not significantly better, and they don't go out Miami style and draft Jalen Waddle and trade for Tyree Kill and make it this super offense, it, the quarterback can make a huge difference. And I, I think that in this film with Mac, you know, I know that Mike Gesicki uh, one is going around now, right? People uh, have picked that one up. Yeah. Of, Mike Gasicki up the seam wide open and he rushes the decision and scrambles. Uh, that That's a big one. But I thought that there was other things as Pat Patriot is, is dancing and <laughs> right in front of me right now. <laughs> the duality uh, of men. I, I, I think there is a lot of other uh, reps or whatever you want, dropbacks in this game where similar things were happening. I think that was the most egregious one Yeah, uh, was the one to Gasicki. But there, there's that.
0: There's the one to Thornton. And, yeah. and what's frustrating is there's some good throws, too. I, the touchdown Hunter Henry is a seed. Yeah. The thr- I, I know people hate the throw to Juju because Jonathan Vilma said it on the broadcast. Jonathan – no, that if, the, if the ball hits the receiver in both of his hands, it's a good throw. Like, period. Full stop. That's just – in terms of the throw itself, you can argue the decision. But he trusts himself to make that throw. He made that throw. The deep throw to Rager is a good throw. Now, two of his best throws were dropped. Yeah. That's its own thing, and that's where you get into the talent around him. But that's what makes it so frustrating is there are these flashes, but it's just still not consistent enough to to that, that you can like build things around him, right?
1: Yeah, I, I I agree, and that's where I'm at now with Mac is that he's got to be consistent with the things that he can control, and I think that no, they're not. They're not putting out an offensive product right now that if Mac starts making some of these throws, they're going to score 40 points a game. Like nobody's right. saying that, but could they have easily won this game? 2320 if he makes some of those throws? Absolutely. And that's the difference, right? That we we're talking about playing your way out of drafting your replacement. That that's how you do that. It's not necessarily going out there and averaging thirty five points a game for the next eight games. It's just making a couple more of those plays that he's not currently making. The Gasicki throw is out there now in terms of reads. The wheel route to Ramondre Stevenson is a really that's another tough one. play. Yeah. I, I mean he he backfoot one foot fadeaways like he's, you know, Kobe Bryant in the post. And remandre i there's a post safety in the middle of the field if he hits remandre in stride with that pass and that might be an 80 yard touchdown yeah and instead he's just got to step into it yeah instead he backfoots it you know fade away in the pocket and there was pressure coming up the middle a little bit somebody broke through the a gap and there was some pressure up, up the middle but that's one of those throws that you just got to stand in there as an nfl quarterback you right. can't you can't shy away from the contact You just got to stand in there, set your feet Make a strong throw and take the hit Because the play is there to be made If there weren't, if we watched the tape And said there's just no play Like everybody's just blanketed on every snap And there's just no plays to be made I think that we could sit there and excuse it all away From Mac Jones, but at this point
0: Which is kind of what last year was Yeah,
1: at this point there are plays to be made on the tape Is it as often As it needs to be? No No and that's where the the personnel and the talent around him comes in but Yes, his margin for error is tiny, uh, but there's still two or three throws a game that if he makes those throws, it swings the game significantly. And those two plays, I think, are the ones that stand out the most to me. Uh, and even the fourth down throw to Taekwon that you mentioned, like those three plays, if those three plays end up being completions, first of all, all three of those plays, if you, know, you just give the receiver the benefit of the doubt after the catch, have a chance to be huge explosives, yeah. like 40-plus yard plays in some cases. And you know the, the seam throw to Gasiki is essentially the exact same throw that he made to Faro Brown against the Jets, and and, and you know Faro Brown takes it to a, a fifty-five yard touchdown or whatever that is. So if he hits Gasiki in stride up the seam there, you know he might be gone, and that just significantly changes the entire game. So he's got to play better, and and we all know that. And I, I hate to turn the show every week into. You know Bill Belichick's job security, Mac Jones's job security. Like I feel like we just beat that dead horse on that as a as media. Honestly, like that's all we're, everyone's talking about. Uh, but it is the biggest story with the team, so we, we do have to discuss it a little bit. So
0: we can get to that. Also, if you want to call in eight five five Pats five hundred, definitely. You know, Evan's stingy with the phones. I'm I'm a little less stingy, so I know Matthew. <laughs> I see you hanging on. We'll get to you in a minute here. But if there is an, an email we have that I I want to get to, and since you talk about all these international Patriots fans, uh, Nicholas in Oslo, Norway, asks, and this is specifically for us. It's a question for Catch-22. Oh. Um, If the Patriots decide Mac Jones is not the future, he gives, you know, what should they do? Entering today, they'd hold the fifth pick. So here's what his options are. Pick the best quarterback available at five. And then President says Penick. So I guess we're saying, let's say they're sitting somewhere between five and 10, May and Williams go in the top three. So, best quarterback available when they pick, with their pick, move up and get May or Williams, pick an offensive tackler, wide receiver. So we're talking Joe Alt, Marvin Harrison, Olu Fasciano, and then yeah. sign a veteran quarterback. And he asks who that would be. Or he says something else, parentheses, a day two QB. Yeah,
1: I think it's uh, that's, these are the. Either or scenarios that you and I are going to be talking about for the next six months, right? Right. It's just, it, is it the chicken or is it the egg? And, and that's what they're going to have to decide. I, I would lean towards if you really don't feel like Mac is your quarterback, you have to take a quarterback. Yeah. You have to take a quarterback. And I think the one thing that we're, we, we should keep in mind is that they're projected right now, depending on who you believe or who you trust with the salary cap space. Let's just call it between 75 and a hundred million dollars in cap space. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the, a, lot. a lot of that is because they have guys that are free agents and they don't have a lot of big money players and that speaks to the talent and it's a bigger picture issue in some senses, but they have 75 to a hundred million dollars in cap space and there are some free agent playmakers free agent receivers that are going to be available and I know people will say well they did that with Aguilar they did that with Bourne, it didn't really move the needle but let's say you know a guy that I'm excited to watch on Sunday when I know we're going to get into the Colts a little bit at the end but uh, Michael Pittman Jr. who I think is a really talented player and I'm excited to see him in person and and see how he moves on the field this weekend I I would assume that the Colts with a young quarterback are going to want to keep their thousand yard receiver who's only 26 years old. You would, you would think that that's a player that Indy is going to prioritize. But let's just say that somebody like Michael Pittman Jr. or somebody like T. Higgins reaches free agency. If you use that first-round pick on a quarterback, you can still pay one of those guys in free agency and pair him with the young quarterback. So it doesn't have to necessarily be either or. You just have to use all the resources at your disposal. And if I'm the Patriots right now, if I had to make that decision and – I'm curious to see how you feel. But if I had to make that decision today, was it uh, November 9th? Yeah. I would say to draft the quarterback and and put all of your eggs in like T. Higgins, right? Just try to put everything in towards an offer with T. Higgins. I know people are going to say, well, why would T. Higgins want to come here? If you pay him $25 million and it's more money than anybody else offered, he'll come. <laughs> right? Like, right. Why did Matthew Judon come here? Like, let's face it. And so I think that if you, you know, that's what I would personally do at this present moment. Uh, But like I said, you know, I can be swayed. I've made up my my mind for now on Mac, but I can be swayed back on the other side.
0: So I I would say, and I've said this before, if you believe, if they were in a spot to draft Mayor Williams, even if that means trading up a couple of picks, if you believe one of those guys is the guy, is going to be your quarterback for the next 15 years, you got to go up and get him. If not... Let's say they love—and it's funny, last time we did the 7 in 2021, I think this was your take, and I hated it. And maybe it's because it's a different class. I like this class better than I like the 21 class, at least after the first round. Let's say they really like Jaden Daniels, or they really like J.J. McCarthy, one of these guys that's probably going to go early in the second round. I wouldn't—because you still have Mac on his rookie contract, I would not be opposed to them taking— Joe Alt, Marvin Harrison Jr., whoever, in the first round, Jaden Daniels, in the second, and then Mac essentially becomes the bridge guy, right? And you work with it, and then you have a year with Jaden Daniels, and then if Jaden Daniels isn't the guy, well, you're probably going to be picking in the top ten again next year, and then you go draft the guy in the first round. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I, it's I, the Jalen Hurts model, right, right? Exactly, exactly. Or, or to go further back, honestly, it's what the Carolina Panthers did in 2010 they drafted Jimmy Clausen in the second or third round they had i can't remember who the veteran was but they had a veteran and they drafted Jimmy Clausen in the second and third round he fell a little bit and they basically were like all right we're going to see if Jimmy is starting quarterback Jimmy Clausen wasn't and then the next year they took Cam at the top of the draft and it would kind of be that thing where you're hoping you do it ends up being the Jalen Hurts thing and then if the guy you take in the second round turns out he can't play, all right, now you go get the first round of next year, and then you're pairing that guy, whether it be Drew Aller, whether it be Shader Sanders, you're pairing that guy with either Joe Alt or Marvin Harrison.
1: Yeah, look, I, you know, I, I've only watched, you know, passingly the, most of these quarterbacks in college for right now, but Jaden Daniels does intrigue me based off of what I've he seen should. of him he should. recently. I, I think the biggest thing with just a general, and I know I've said to the, you said this to you off air a couple times, what what worries me all the time about these young quarterbacks in college is that so many of them are playing playground football, and it's it maybe some of it. You know, we've seen all the three pointers in basketball because of Steph Curry. Right. I, I do think that there is a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen type of effect to this. We're now creating out of structure is what become the it thing to do. The thing to do is become to run around and make these ridiculous off-platform throws. And Caleb Williams and what I saw from Pennix in that, that USC-Washington game, those two guys do that at, both at a really high level. What I want to see is can you create from in-the-pocket, in-structure quarterbacking, you know, throw accurately in the pocket, uh, make yourself you know manage the pocket, which is something that I don't think we've seen Mac Jones do a good job of, especially this year is you're you're sometimes you are going to be throwing from a phone booth. That that's that's the NFL. Yeah. So can can you throw with arm strength, and, you know, get the, all the throws out there that you need to get out there from a muddied pocket? Can you make reads obviously is is you know a huge one of course. Jaden Daniels to me in that last game that the that, that I watched for LSU, I'm blanking on who they're playing, I'm sure you Alabama. Were, Alabama. Uh, made so many great throws from the pocket. And, and that is intriguing. I'm not saying that those other guys can't do it. I just, I'm concerned about guys thinking that it's just easy to emulate Mahomes in the league. And just right. coming in and thinking, oh, well, if Mahomes does it, then everybody can do that now. When in reality, there, there is a chance that, o- that it's one of one, right? Like, there's only one guy can play second reaction, playground football like that and throw from all these weird arm angles and off-platform. And, you know, we always talk about, like, the Mahomes shortstop throws and stuff like that. There's a chance that maybe he's the only guy that can do that on the planet. And I worry about other guys trying to emulate that and then recognizing, oh, wh- what now? And and are you going to be able to have that fallback? I well, think that's the one thing with Mac is, like, he's gotten punched in the mouth and he hasn't really adjusted. So. Right. Uh, how these guys younger guys are able to handle adversity is going to be big too
0: and i would i'm with you on that we've seen guys come in the league and try to do the the mahomes thing and it kind of blow up on them i mean you look at zach wilson i think that pick was predicated on hey he's going to be our our patrick mahomes he's going to be our josh allen and then he wasn't yeah so, all right, let's let's take a call and then we can get back into Patriots Commanders a little bit. Uh, let's go to Matthew. Kind of all over the place here, but that's what happens when I host. Let's go to Matthew in New Mexico. Matthew.
2: Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. First off, um, I want to say I listen to all the Patriots shows, and this show is by far the best one.
0: Uh, Appreciate that by
2: far. I want to tell you guys that. Um, but my question is, like, we've seen like Will Levis and like DJ Stroud, so I guess going off of Alex' take with like Drake May. Do we really want to start him? Like, what would you guys do? Would you guys let him sit for a few games and see, especially with the offensive line? And with the offensive line, is it, like, realistic to rebuild? Like, if we get a, a new quarterback, is it really realistic to rebuild this offensive line in, like, one off season? And my next question is, um, you, like, we hear all this stuff with Bill and, like, that. Like, if you guys had to put a percentage on it, Let's say worst-case scenario in Germany with the cold. What percentage is, like, could Bill get fired this week? And that's it. That's it for me, guys. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, thanks for the call, Matthew. Um, the first one, was he asking already how to manage Drake May on the Patriots if they get him? <laughs> that's a little down the road. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. I, I I think the second question he asked there was really interesting. How quick can you turn the offensive line around? especially if that first-round pick, we'll just say it goes elsewhere, whether it's a quarterback, yeah. whether it's a receiver, whether it's a safety, which, by the way, I wouldn't rule out, um, especially if it li- ends up being a little lower than five, if it's closer to the 10 to 15 range, if they win some games here. How quickly can you turn around this offensive line? And I think there's a couple of variables here. First off, Mike Onwenu, did you catch Ev- – oh, you weren't here yesterday. I wasn't. You, you, oh, you saw Bill's presser. Right? I did. He was asked if the team is comfortable with Michael Onwenu playing right tackle long term. And he said yes. Now, I don't know if that long term he took that as this year or for his career, but in the past, the Patriots had made it clear they believed his long term place was at right guard. Yeah. Maybe that's changed because here's the thing with the offensive line. And Evan, I've said this before It, it adding a tackle is a massive undertaking. Yeah, Adding a legitimate starting tackle, you're talking about a premium asset. So that's a first-round pick. That's probably, odds are, one of the biggest con- contracts in free agency. You're going to talk about one of the highest-paid players league-wide in free agency to add a true starting-caliber tackle. You need to do that twice in an off-season. I don't know about that. That's a lot. But if Mike Gonwen, if they're comfortable with him as a right tackle, and they pay him and they keep him, okay, that's one box checked. The interior should be fine. They shouldn't have to touch the interior. They used three top 150 picks on interior offensive linemen last year, and then a first-round pick on an offensive lineman on an interior offensive lineman the year before that. So now you're just talking about left tackle, and does Trent end up coming back as he often does? Is that where Joe Alt comes into the conversation? Olufashanu, maybe a day two guy that you think has a high as high floor. Maybe there's other free agent tackles like. All of a sudden now, the offensive line is very manageable to fix. If you're going to play Mike Onwenu with right tackle and pay him, the interior's set. You just have to add that left tackle, which is not easy, but it's just one thing. If yeah. they're going to let Mike Nguyen go, well, now you need to add a right tackle, a left tackle, and depending on what they do with City So, you might need to add depth on the interior as well. Now it's become this whole other thing. So they can turn it around quickly. But it becomes, what do they think of Mike Onwenu positionally, and are they willing to pay him?
1: Yeah, I, I, the way I look at it, and I, I think that in terms of paying him, it obviously, you have to decide which position he's going to play. That's going to set his market to an extent. But I, I still look at paying Mike Unwenu as Well, I think prior. his market's
0: set. If he's going right to ta- play right tackle the rest of the season, I think his market's set at right tackle. And yeah, that's a realistic as ask a, from him.
1: At least as an elite guard that can kick outside, which is gonna yeah. add to his value. So he's gonna make maybe a little bit more than what a, a premium guard would make just because of that flexibility. But I, I think the main thing is, I, I still think that whether you view him as a guard or a tackle, I, to me, is a mute, is a moot point. He, Mike Onwenu should be a Patriot next year and long-term, period. Like They, yep. they, they need to get out of the business of just letting talent walk out the door. Whether he's a guard or a tackle is irrelevant. They have to keep him in the building, they have to make him a priority, and they have to keep him around. And then you decide, you know, probably with Mike Onwenu as a joint kind of decision, where are we gonna play you permanently? But I, I, I go back to, and I, I really still believe it, this to be the case, letting Joe Tooney walk was a mistake. It was a mistake. Like that he's probably going to be a first-team All-Pro for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Again, Th- there's an argument that he is the best guard in, in the NFL, and I think that we. Well, get Qu- I don't it- know. Have you? How much of the
0: Colts have you watched? Real quick. Or I assume you've like caught up on them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've watched a bunch.
0: Because Quentin Nelson's not the best guard in football anymore. Is that kind of? Re- I've heard people said it, but I realized yeah. this week. I don't know what yeah. happened to that guy, but
1: yeah, he, he's like a shell of himself. Yeah. Now. Anyway, tangent. I, continue. We'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. Tooney is such a great player. And when you no matter where the protection is coming from, it's always a bonus to have better offensive line play. Yes, and I I I just think that that was a misstep. And I know a lot of people look at it and say, well, they got themselves tied up in money and guards, and that was a mistake. No, what was a mistake was paying both guards. It wasn't a mistake if you just pay one of them. But you can't. It's hard to have a, a roster constructed in some ways if. Both your guards are making 10 plus million dollars a year like it would have been with Shaq Mason and Joe Tooney. But now that, you know, whether he's a guard or a tackle, if you're talking about having Cole Strange on a rookie contract, David Andrews on a manageable contract and City So as your other guard on a rookie contract, then you can pay Mike Onwenu. Especially if
0: one of your tackles will also probably be on a rookie contract. Yeah,
1: I think that's the difficult part is filling that other tackle spot because if you look at the tackles in free agency, it's not a good class of free agent tackles. Like we said last year, not to toot our own horns, last year was the year to get a tackle in free agency, and they didn't do it. So this isn't a great class of free agent tackles. I would actually say that if he plays well down the stretch and stays out of his own way, that Trent Brown is one of the best available free agent tackles for the 2024 class. So if you're using that draft pick on the quarterback and you're not using it on, on a first-round tackle, I, I don't know if they can fix all of it in one offseason is, I guess, the long-winded, uh, you know, the short way of saying all of that. So maybe it is well. It ta- is. I'll say
0: this. It is another good tackle class. I think if they go tackle in the top 50, if they take a tackle in the second round or, or trade back up into the late first, there's guys like Patrick Paul, guys like Amarius Mims, uh, Jordan Morgan, who you might be able to make it work.
1: Yeah. But I, I think- it, to
0: your point, like they're not fixing it through for agency. They're not getting an established player.
1: Yeah, so if they they might not be able to fix it all in one off season, but I I know that people and myself included don't don't want this team to have to rely on guys like Trent Brown who is unreliable in, in terms of just all of it, you know, his, his buy in, his effort sometimes. Uh, he's just is what he is. He's one of those guys that this is why Scar and him were such a good pair in 18. You got to coach him hard. You got to get it out of him. You got to get him motivated, uh, whether it's financially motivated or motivated by by winning or whatever. And But one more year of Trent Brown as you kind of use him as a bridge to transition to some younger guys at that spot isn't the worst case scenario.
0: So there's some people in the, in the YouTube comments right now kind of talking about, the offensive line situation as a whole uh you know Dante Scarnecchia leaving and the impact that had recently and again I said it earlier I I thought Adrian Clem did a good job the last couple weeks the offensive line was bad to start the season I think that goes beyond Clem I mean they were just so banged up how how, as as we kind of hit this interesting spot with him and again if you missed it Adrian Clem is going to be away from the team Bill Belichick called it for a little while with a health issue and we we hope the best for him of course what have yeah. you thought of the job Clem has done, and how big? You know, we don't often talk about coaches as a loss, but in a season where it seems like everybody on the on the team has been on the injury report at some point, even now the coaches are. What have you thought of the job Clem has done, and how big of a loss is he on a game to game basis here?
1: Well, well, you know, and people that are regular listeners to the show I know how critical I was of him in the beginning of the season. I mean, that the the line play that they put out in the first, let's call it six weeks, but really the first, you know. I— I'd say four or five games, Yeah, uh, it was deplorable. I mean, that was not NFL caliber across the board. And guys were playing with bad fundamentals, bad pad level, bad hand placement, like just bad football from the offensive line. It has been better. It has been better. And I know a lot of that lines up with the fact that Mike Onwenu was now playing tackle and he's kind of settled things down. But I'll give Clem some credit because City So, I think, has developed a little bit here. Uh, he, okay. he's, de- he's definitely a lot better with some of the movements and things up front that he gets from uh, opposing defensive lines, like stunts, picks, twists, uh, blitzes, like that kind of stuff. Uh, he, he's been a lot better at that, and they've coached him up uh, on a lot of those things. Uh, so I give them credit for that, and I, I actually thought, and he's not in my, my ups, but I, I, I thought about it. Yeah. Uh, I think Cole Strange played an okay game last week.
0: Uh, okay. There was
1: some pressures allowed that I didn't love. I had him down with three, but it wasn't egregious, especially in that matchup. And he also made some really, really good blocks, especially in the run game. Like his block on uh, Ramondre Stevenson's 64-yard touchdown was a really underrated block that made that play work. Uh, so I was intrigued. I guess is the word from from Cole Strange that I all thought right. it was a better game for him. So I'll give Clem some flowers, but I think they can they'll be all right on the line. Uh, you know, with with uh, uh, Billy Yates. Yeah. Because Yates, you know, it, it has been in the room all season long. Uh, it's going to be the same program. Like you would, you would think that they would be able to figure it out uh, for the next couple of weeks, but uh, we'll we'll see how much he really does matter. You know, if they come out on Sunday against the Colts that have a good front, and you know DeForest Buckner, those guys come out and absolutely are uh, you know Max under siege, uh, then maybe you do give a little bit of credit to to Clem and what he's been able to do. All
0: right, you want to join us? You want to talk Pats with us? Eight five five Pats 855 five hundred eight five five seven two eight seven five hundred. But let's go. That that leads us right into ups and downs, Evan. And honestly, my, yes. my first up was Adrian Clem in the offensive line. Not the best offensive line game that's ever been played, but I think we, we talked about this in the offseason. The one guy this team could not afford to lose was Trent Brown. And yeah. kind of the ripple effect that comes with playing without him. And I thought all that considered against the opponent they were playing, you got a pretty good game from the offensive line.
1: Yeah, yeah, the offensive line was solid in this game. I I had Mike Onwenu as an up. Okay. just On an individual level, uh, Mike Onwenu allowed one quarterback hit in this game, and it was uh, it was pretty late in the game. And it seems like every game, you know, against Miami, he led up the sack late in the game. That there's one rep a game in pass pro that he gets beat. And if that's what all that's happening for your right tackle, like that's a pretty good get day at the office. I mean right. what well, he's the film that he's been able to put out there at tackle over the last three weeks after really only playing exclusively at guard, and I had asked him about this in the locker room before I, we came out here uh, about what he did to, yeah, you know, it's pretty incredible that he's been this good at tackle, just kind of flipped a switch over there for the, the offensive line. And uh, he said that in the offseason, uh, he was doing some tackle training, just thinking in the back of his head, like, this could happen, right? So yeah. let, let's work on some sets and some things like that, like on playing tackle just to be ready. And it's been remarkable uh, how – easily he's just transitioned outside to tackle and how natural he looks at that spot and it does make a big difference having him in the run game because it, whether it's a, a, a double team block with City So or he's kicking out the edge defender, that becomes a lot more space there now because he's they have an impact run blocker at that spot as well. So uh, he's been exceptional at, at tackle to the point where if I'm his agent and I'm looking at next offseason, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying yeah. I'm putting the tackle film out there and saying, know, yeah, this guy's a tackle. You better pay him like it. Uh, He was exceptional in this game, and I think he's honestly been tremendous uh, since moving out there. So he was one of my ups. I'm I'm
0: petitioning, uh, if I'm his agent, NFL.com has Owen listed as a guard. The Patriots just have him listed as an offensive lineman as they do with, I think it's just David Andrews is the only one who's listed as a center. I think everybody else is just listed OL. NFL.com has Mike Owen listed as a guard. If I'm his agent, I'm calling whoever runs the NFL website and saying, hey, can we get, uh," you know, the team website lists him as an offensive lineman. Can we get yeah. those two uh, lined up there? Because that might help. The old um, uh, uh, remember Jimmy Graham when when the Saints franchise tagged him, and he was trying to get franchise tagged as a receiver, not a tight end. And yeah. it went to court, and a big part of the deciding factor was it said in his Twitter bio, "New Orleans Saints tight end." Yeah. And they were like, "Well, you you advertise yourself tight." End. Anyway, I just find that story funny. Any chance to bring it up? Uh, another up for me, and it's another kind of group one. I'll we'll get to the downs. The Patriots defense did not play well in this game. There were two glaring exceptions to that. Devon Godshaw and Christian Barmore. They were both awesome. It's not just they were like everybody else was bad and they were fine. They were both really good in this game. Devon Godshaw in that second quarter, he had he helped on the forced fumble, which he then recovered. He holds the back up for Jelani Tavaia to punch the ball out, and then Godshaw himself re- recovers, but there was also, he read a screen uh, really well at one point, took away the window. There were a couple other times he just got pressure on Sam Howell. I thought Devon Gottschall, this might have been his best game of the year. And Christian Barmore just dominated again. He was pushing offensive linemen back. Two more pass breakups for him at the line of scrimmage. Uh, after those two guys, again, there was nobody really behind him capitalizing on what they were doing. But I thought those two guys in particular, and, and for Barmore it stands out because he's put together you know four or five of these now. I thought the two defensive tackles played incredibly
1: well. Yeah, I, I had Barmore as my number one up in this okay. game. He is He's in fuego, Alex. Yeah. He, he's, yeah. He's on an absolute heater. The last month of the season, uh, you can make a case that Christian Barmore has been the best defensive tackle in football. I mean, he's been that good. Uh, he had eight quarterback pressures in this game. Uh, added two batted passes as well. I thought that there were some good reps against the run. He didn't have as many stuffs in this game as he's had the last couple weeks, but uh, he was doing his thing in the two gap and all that kind of stuff. Uh, The pressure on the quarterback, he is a problem. I mean, he's not only getting some of those, you know, threaten the edge like he did uh, in Miami on that sack, but he's also going through guys too and creating penetration to allow others to you know wrap around it on those stunts that they like to run on the interior. I uh, he Mac Wilson had three pressures in this game. All three of them were just wrapping around Christian Barmore. You know, just Barmore is getting the guy that's getting the interior penetration and push and it's just opening up all this stuff. Uh, He is playing like we really thought he was going to play after his rookie season. Like This was the hope, was that he was going to play at this level. He's another guy that I think you have to start talking about as an extension candidate in the offseason, as someone that you want to build around on the defensive front. Uh, He was exceptional again in this game. Uh, Like I mentioned, with eight quarterback pressures, that was a game high. Uh, It's his high of the season as well. He's got as many quarterback pressures as pretty much any defensive lineman, you know, interior defensive lineman taking out the sub, you know, the uh, edge rushers, right. and the, the pass rush linebackers, and stuff like that. You just look at defensive linemen, you know, D tackles, D ends that played their hand in the dirt. Uh, he's second in the league right now over the last month in quarterback pressures among that group. So he's definitely doing his thing, and uh, it's great to see him do that after last year, which I, I think we can now determine that was. Injuries just yeah, not it's a, yeah. a bad year for him, and, and uh, you know now we see the potential again, and hopefully that arrow keeps pointing upward. But I have him with four games in a row now. I went back and looked where he was my number one up four games okay. in a row. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's a guy. Well.
0: When we get to the off season, we do the next group of extensions. I think that there'll be a lot of talk about Mac Jones' contract and the fifth year option. But from that class, I mean, who are you pounding the table for an extension for? It's got to be Christian Barmore. I mean, that's a guy I think. You re-sign him, you re-sign Duggar. They have Juwan Bentley locked up. Boom. You have established players at all three levels now, and that's your core defensively, essentially. And that's the group you're building around. It's not a bad group to build. And then you have Christian Gonzalez at corner as well on his rookie contract. I should bring him into this. That's a good defensive core. That's a solid defensive core. And then maybe you get Anthony Jennings back on a team-friendly deal uh, because he's had a good year, and that might be a guy that's I, I think there's a chance he comes back here because there's probably more playing time for him here than, than there is on in most other defenses. You go out, you get a free safety, and you're in good shape. So, yeah, Christian Barmore, very, very exciting player right now. My third up, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, yep. looked a little slow to start the year, but you saw it on the big run. He's got his burst back. There were a couple other times, too, uh, you know, catching passes in the flat. I know he had a drop, but I thought overall this was an encouraging game for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The big run, like you said, was the burst. Yeah, that we hadn't been really seeing at, at times beginning of the year. It's amazing when you open up some space for him, though, what he's going to be able right. to do. Uh, so that that definitely happened. I like the you know I broke it down the the, the, the scheme on that play to have Gasicki run a route from the slot, really pull the defender out of the fit, and that kind of opened up a, an entire lane along with some good blocks. I mentioned Strange's block. Uh, City So obviously had a nice block on that play, you know, just a, a base block. Andrews picked up the blitz. And then you have Rager. Uh, as much as we're going to talk about Rager in a second, I yeah. think uh, <laughs> he, had, he did <laughs> make a great block on the Ramondre run. Uh, so that that was uh, that, that was encouraging to see the burst and the breakaway speed. You mentioned the pass game stuff. I thought he was so much better in this game getting out of the backfield. I think a lot of the games uh, this season he's taken too long to make himself available to the quarterback. He's either dancing or he's trying to uh, to make too many moves to get open at the top of the route. Uh, or just kind of just taking his time, sweet time getting out of the backfield, and uh, you're watching the tape, and you're just like, get you know, run right, like get out of right. there and make yourself available to the quarterback. Uh, this offense needs that. I know that some people kind of scoff at the idea of you know a third down back and how important it might actually be. I, I think that this team definitely needs it, and if Ramondre it can be a, a matchup weapon against linebackers like he was last week, it was pretty clear. I know they mentioned after the game, Mac did, that Emmanuel Forbes was on their target list and that didn't end up going so well for them, uh, but I think it was, it was really clear that uh, Jermaine Davis, the linebacker for the Commanders, uh, if they got Ramondre one-on-one against Jermaine Davis, they were taking that matchup and he was winning it on Sunday. Uh, he should have had the wheel route too, and if you had add yeah. that in there, uh, then we're talking about a huge, huge day uh, production-wise. So I thought he was really, really good in this game as well.
0: Again, you want to chat with us, 855-PATS-500 is the number. We'll get you right on because I'm in the phones today, not Evan. 855-728-7500. <laughs> Who was your fine. third up?
1: I had Those were my three. Were, uh, you had Ramondre? Andre, Barmore, okay. and Mike on winning. Yep. All
0: right, so we can get into the downs now. And my first down—I guess because you—I don't do mine in order. Like, I know you rank yours. I just kind of pick three. Um, My first down from this game—again, it's another one where I'm combining players. Jalen Rager and Tyquan Thornton. There was a real chance for somebody to emerge as that third wide receiver uh, between Juju Smith-Schuster, DeMario Douglas. Those are going to be your one and two, right? And Kayshaun Booty's taken out of the picture before the game, and we can get to that. But Rager, like— he dropped the pass. Besides that, I thought he was fine. He had the block. With I hold it against him less. Because, like, there's a reason he's on his third team in four years. There's a reason he was available. There's a reason he's a recent first-round pick that's struggling to get playing time on a two-win team. You kind of expected that. So I'm not saying it's a good play. It doesn't excuse it. For me, it's Tyquan Thornton. This was a real missed opportunity because he hasn't been able to get on the field. Not just because of injuries, but he's been buried behind this depth chart. Going back to the summer when he was healthy, remember he got demoted to that second unit in training camp. Well, here you go; they have to play you, they have to put you on the field. Mac Jones is trying to give him opportunities. There's four four targets in the first 12 snaps. Now, one of them was a bad miss by Mac, and Thornton probably has a touchdown if Mac puts it on him. Thornton also could have gotten out of the break a little quicker, but it, it, that's on Mac. But after that. I mean, there, there's clear miscommunications. He runs a bad route on a third down right in front of Bill Belichick. You watch the replay. You can see Bill Belichick's reaction in real time. Yeah. And then he doesn't play again. Played 12 snaps, had four targets in the first quarter and called first uh, 18 minutes of the game. I think it was 11-24 in the second quarter was the time on the clock on that last snap. And then in play again, and Bill Belichick said after the game, he was healthy, he was available. He was removed from the injury report this week. So that was as good of a chance as he was going to have, I think, to, to establish himself and be that second-round pick and be that speed threat that he was drafted to be. And even with Mac Jones' miss aside on that fourth down, clearly there was something in there that the team saw that they were like, we can't put this guy on the field. With no other options, we're going to go in 12 heavy and, and throw Mike Kosicki out there, I think it was like 70% of the time. Yeah.
1: yeah they did I, that
0: over putting Ty on the field, and I think that's a major missed opportunity for him.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I had Taekwon as well, and you know, I, I also lumped him together with Jalen Rager, but I think your point is valid that Rager, it's not on Rager that he's not the guy. You, right? you, you like saw, it,
0: like, if you told me, all right, Jalen Rager is going to go out there, he's going to set a big block, he's going to catch a quick slant, he's going to drop a pass, I'd be like, all right, yeah, that's yeah, about right.
1: Yeah, right. So I think it's a little not harsh to put Rager in the downs because he probably deserves to be there, but it's just not, it's blaming the wrong guy, it's, it's, right? It's
0: different, deg- there's different degrees to it. Like yeah. you have to mention the drop in this conversation because it happened, it was a story, it changed the game. You can't ignore that. But yeah. it, it, you rank how, you know, how emphatically you're putting them on there on a scale of one to 10, the degree to which Tyquan Thornton is a down is greater than the degree to which Jalen Rager is.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. When I, when I look at Taekwon, I, I do think there is something to be said, and I'm, I'm not sitting here telling you that if they had him running a different route tree that he would be at a 1,000-yard receiver and be this you know all-pro level player or anything like that. Uh, but it is interesting to me that I, I feel like, especially at the intermediate level, they, they have him trying to run these pretty advanced routes. Like the route that he ran on fourth down, which uh, was an okay route. I mean, I agree with you that maybe he was a little bit slow getting out of the break, uh, but he got open. That's the bottom line. Yeah, no, right? he was open. He Yeah. Yeah, he got open. That route. Yeah, me
0: mentioning him at the top of the route was just me being a Mac apologist. No, guess. no, and, and I, <laughs> I agree
1: with you that it, it wasn't a I I don't think it was a great route either. Yeah. Uh, But the bottom line is, is that that's a pretty like nuanced route, right? You know, you're talking about, it's a, it's essentially a post corner. You know, he's faking that he's going to break in on a post and then he breaks out on the corner uh they sometimes call it an inverted over where they're like faking a crosser and then breaking out on the corner but either way you're you're talking about routes that some of their more dynamic route runners and, and uh high advanced route runners over the years edelman uh J- jacoby Myers, like th- that's the route that a lot of those guys ran a ton and th- i just i look at taekwon and he should be running he should be running wind sprints that that that's the bottom line like he should be running verticals all over the field uh whether it's a a deep cross post go ball whatever and some of the time with him he's not going to get the ball that's the bottom line like he's not going to be a high volume guy in that role he's going to be clearing out a lot of space for others and i think what tight where taekwon can Almost help himself the most, and to get on the field at least over Jalen Rager, which is just a joke right. that this guy can't play over Jalen Rager, is sometimes I see with him uh, on the tape that he doesn't always run the route hard if he knows he's not in the progression. And that's the type of thing that the coaches are gonna are gonna hate. That's gonna drive them nuts. Like that you, even though you're not necessarily in the progression for the quarterback as an option in the play, your role on the play is really important. So if you're not running that route 110 percent and you're not taking that safety or you're not clearing out that sideline uh, for the routes to fill in, then it, the play, the whole play doesn't work, even if the ball's not coming your direction. So he's got to be uh, cleaner in those types of areas to the point where he's just you put him out there just to be Jalen Rager, right? Like just, Yeah run the verticals and if the ball comes your way try to make a play but it's probably only going to come your way a couple times a game and, and that's where we're at with taekwon but his his just overall focus on the field is a problem like his routes uh the way that he, he understands like his role in the play uh it's all all of that type of mental stuff is an issue, and, and I think that that's something that is holding him back maybe more than anything else. And why every time we talk to O'Brien about uh, about Taekwon, he's mentioning you know well, he's been hurt and he hasn't doesn't have the reps right doesn't right. have the reps, and that tells you right then and there that he's making mental errors on the field. Like that's that's what's happening. Uh, so I do I think that physically he would be this incredible player. No, of course not. Uh, but it, I, I think that he could be useful for them because of the speed if he was able to show the coaches that he could do some of those little things a little bit better uh, that he hasn't been doing so frustrating player I mean we, we I was skeptical of the pick at the time just because of the type of player that he was but even if you just give them the benefit of the doubt that they saw him as somebody that was going to be a real field stretcher for them and uh, impact the game that way without necessarily impacting the game at a high volume targets wise uh, it just dad hasn't even come to fruition either so all of it is just a mess with him right now.
0: we also have to remember he was drafted to play in a different offense than the one he's playing in. on top of that because they drafted him the, I,
1: I have to that's another benefit of the doubt thing right like you have to no it's not
0: a benefit of the doubt thing I'm saying like they they I think that's they drafted him for an offense that was never going to work
1: yeah, I, I guess my benefit of that point is more if that was the if they drafted him to, to play more of like a, a Shanahan offense. Yeah. And that was the plan and he was supposed to be the guy that was running the deep post and just occupying players down the fields so that they could open up the the throws underneath that Shanahan's tree loves, the in cuts, the crossers, things like that, then then I understand the vision a little bit more I suppose but I think that's giving them a lot of almost credit at this point at that position because we've seen them fail in so many different ways at the top of the draft with taking receivers that I just I can't necessarily chalk it all up to that like I, I feel like their evaluation of players at the wide receiver position is a uh, too spotty in the draft yeah. to just say oh well if he was in the Shanahan offense he, he would be a different player and I know that's not what you're saying I'm just right I, I think that that's just a really uh, a point that I find like, all right, well, you drafted two guys at the receiver position in the top 50 in the last five years, and both of them can't play.
0: Uh, while we're on the receivers, what are your thoughts on Keyshawn Booty in that whole situation?
1: So I, I, I really do wonder what's going on with Keyshawn Booty because to me there's no way that I can really think of that they didn't have him – like, he wasn't going to play at all. Like, that was the plan the whole week, right? Like, I guess is what I'm trying to So, do to you say. buy the
0: theory that – because he talked to us on Friday, and he said something like, you know, I haven't played in seven weeks, but my number is being called, and I need to be ready to go. Do you buy the theory that the coaching staff was basically upset that he said that, and this was a, no, 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 you don't decide when you're going to play. We decide when you're going to play.
1: It's as good of a theory as any. I don't know if I'm I, – I can say I buy into any theory because I don't know. But I – I, it's just hard to fathom anything else happening.
0: So I have, and, I have one other. Go ahead. And then I have one other.
1: Yeah, I just look at, and I'm not putting him in the same category as, as the two corners, of, as JC Jackson and, and Jack Jones, which we can talk about yeah. uh, if you want. I, I'm not putting him in that category. I'm not saying he did something like that. Uh, but at the same time, when you have other guys that are doing that in this locker room now, because of the state of the team and the record and all that stuff. And I'm not making excuses for those guys. I'm just saying, this is what happens on bad football teams. Guys check out, guys prioritize other things. They stop really caring. Uh, And uh, that's just, some guys are just wired that way. And with Booty, you have to wonder if that's permeating the whole locker room a little bit. And there was something extracurricular or something different that wasn't just football uh, that kept him off the field because it's so hard to imagine that they all week long that was the buzz that was the build-up he was talking about it Belichick says he has the best week of practice in, in essence being a patriot and then he's inactive in the game on Sunday like that there's only that's the only explanation is that something else happened
0: so the one other thing I looked at and I don't know maybe i getting too into the semantics so the the whole reason we got all excited about Keishon Booty last week on top of the injuries and the fact that like they, just numbers-wise, it looked like he was going to have to play. Was Bill Belichick's comments on Friday saying he has, he had his best week of practice of the year? At no point did he say it was a good week of practice, and was it something that was just hey, like his best right now still isn't good enough, and we just misinterpreted it and ran with it? It's the only other thing I can think of. Yeah, and that I, that in itself doesn't make a ton of sense either, but yeah. I, I just think with him, with KeShawn Booty. I, I get why he didn't play earlier in the year. And this goes back to something we talked about going all the way back to the spring. He His skill set is very similar to Kendrick Bourne's. And is there room to have both of them on the field at the same time? Plus Juju. And Juju. There's some overlap with him too. But when Kendrick Bourne became their best receiver and became the guy that wasn't coming off the field, yeah, I, there really wasn't a lot of room for Keshawn Booty to play. Now that Kendrick Bourne's hurt, That changes. And the other thing is, Kayshawn Booty is a little bit of a project player. I'm not saying that I'm upset they're not playing him because, oh, they're leaving like eight catches and 100 yards and two touchdowns a game on the bench. That's not what I'm saying. And I think it's being misinterpreted that way at times for the people who are like, why isn't this guy on the field? It's more, we don't know what he is, but it would be nice to find out. And When you're a contending team, you don't necessarily... The most valuable reps, like players grow in practice and players can learn in practice. The most valuable reps to develop a player are game reps. But when you're a contending team, you you can't put unknown players on the field. You're trying to win football games. They're in a spot right now between the injuries and the record where put Keyshawn Booty out there and see what he can do. And if you're worried he's not ready, putting him into an NFL game is going to be a great way to maybe drag him along if they just think he's at the point where he's never going to be ready then why is he on the roster that would be my point either develop him or move on and right now they're not doing either he's just kind of in this limbo so yeah. that's why like last week to me especially is so weird because Kendrick hurt now they're at two and six at that point what do you have to lose by putting him out there I understood it earlier in the year I think they're at a point now where Going into the offseason, I don't know that he's going to come out and show you that he's the 1-1, one, one, right? I don't know that you're going to get—let's say he plays from here on out. I don't know that he's going to play at a level where you're like, all right, they don't need to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. anymore. I don't know that he's going to be that guy, but can he prove that he can be a capable third wide receiver? Because they—you right. look at the guys they have. Kendrick Bourne's contract is up, and even if he comes back, coming off a torn ACL, he's an unknown. Parker and Juju haven't hit. Rager's an expiring deal, but how much are you counting on him anyway? It's really just Pop Douglas, is the only guy under contract next year that you're counting on at the wide receiver position. So you've got to add bodies. It's not just adding Marvin Harrison Jr. It's not just adding T. Higgins. They're going to have to add a couple of players. If Keshawn Booty goes out, then you're like, yeah, this guy's like a capable third, fourth wide receiver. It's not groundbreaking. It doesn't necessarily change the landscape, but that's one less guy you got to add. That's, you know, what would you pay a third wide receiver? Five million, six million dollars a year that's five or six million dollars you can now allocate elsewhere it's a roster spot you can now allocate elsewhere so just finding out what he can do I think would be the thing
1: yeah, that, that's totally where I'm at with it too. I, I 100% agree with you that so many people uh, re- respond. I'm sure to me and uh, they do to me. I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure they yeah. do the same thing with you. Where they're like, you know, why do you guys think that Keishon Booty is this like diamond in the rough or this guy that they're just keeping this guy off the off the field that's gonna you know a thousand yard receiver and they're not playing him? That's not what we're saying. we we just want to evaluate Keishon Booty in a game. Like we just want to see what it looks like in a game because of your point exactly. What if Kayshawn Booty is good enough to be a number three receiver? And now you know that you have a number three receiver. What what if Kayshawn Booty is good enough to be a number four receiver? Like just somebody on the roster that can contribute uh, to a team. Then you have him, you have Pop Douglas. Like you have some guys that are tertiary or complementary weapons. We know that this team needs number one receivers we know that they need a t higgins or they need a marvin harrison jr we know they need a guy a dude that we know that but they also have to field an, an 11 guys on offense right? right so if pop douglas and case booty can be good two and a good number two and a good number three like now you have the bones of just dropping in these missing pieces and having something offensively and that's the big thing with Keishon Booty it's not that we all think that he's going to break out and be this superstar player for them it's just can he be an NFL player for them moving forward is is a big deal and the in the you know it's not the big big deal like a getting that number one guy but it's not a a moot point either like that that still matters to this team and you mentioned you know his role and we've both been talking about this that he's really uh, ideally more of that like Z slot inside outside type of guy not a a permanent you know X type of player like he was playing in week one against Philly so even if you give them the benefit of the doubt in that sense that Kendrick Bourne Juju Smith Schuster, Pop Douglas are all also guys that are going to play a lot of snaps inside. So there's not enough snaps to go around at that point. You say that no Kendrick Bourne anymore. Juju Smith Schuster played 23 snaps in this game on Sunday, 36% of the snaps. So he didn't even really have a huge role either. So at some point you have to look at it and say, you know, it wouldn't have hurt to give Keyshawn Booty. You know, the 12 reps that, Ken, that that Tyquan Thornton got in this game. Right. Yeah, you know, you gave him to Booty or give six to Booty and six to Thornton or whatever you want to uh, talk about with divvying them up, it, it wouldn't have hurt them at, at all. Uh, but I, I just, their management of that position, whether it's the p- players they're picking, uh, the way that they're utilizing those players, the way that they're uh, utilizing or just talking about who's inactive, who's active, who's playing in the game, all of it is it has been terrible it's been a mess like they're all over the place with that wide receiver position and it's not just talent evaluation Uh, they also are all over the place with how they play these guys and and they got to figure it out and I've been saying it for a long time now about Troy Brown like Troy Brown is on my radar as somebody that was a great great player here represents all the right things about the Patriots in the Patriot way but I I think it's more than fair to start being critical of Troy Brown the coach and what he's really uh, capable of bringing to the table in terms of coaching these guys up. Because at that position, it's been the same thing for a couple of years now. You know, poor route detail, poor spacing, uh, poor timing with the quarterback at the receiver position. Guy's not developing, you know? The guy's not getting better at that spot. That, That needs to improve. Like, even a guy like Pop Douglas, who we both really like and have liked this whole time, Alex, he still makes the same mistakes every single week. And are the mistakes right. agree- so egregious that he should be pulled off the field? No, of course not, because the good stuff still outweighs the bad. But it, it's not like he's improving on any – like, he's still making route running issues. He still has spacing issues. So who's coaching him in those areas? Like, who's helping him out with the, those things? Uh, that that definitely needs to be under fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Um, sorry, I got caught jamming out to music in the background there for a second.
1: <laughs> um, I know they're playing music behind me, and it's it's very very loud. Again, you so, want? Hey, well, it's that? in English.
0: There's no, I was waiting for like the German music. I was waiting to hear oh, like, yeah, what the no, hit songs this are in mostly Germany. Mostly
1: been English music for sure. All
0: right, let's go. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll make our way back through the downs here. We got two more, but let's go to Andrew in Boston. Andrew. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey.
2: Um, just wondering if um, you think there might be some possibility that Jack Jones. Um, J.C. Jackson and even maybe Keyshawn Moody were, were involved in, uh, in any kind of like a scuffle or anything at practice. If that caused what uh, was going on with them. Anyway, talk about
0: fun Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Yeah, I don't... I I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think it, it was reported that uh, Jackson and Jones missed a curfew. So, wait, I, that's... I, I I don't think there'd be anything on top of that, right? Or I don't know if I'm reading too too much into that.
1: Yeah, I, I think with the the J C Jackson situation and also with, with Jack Jones, I I don't necessarily think that we need to like litigate the actual details of what happened or or what it means for this team right this second, right? Because right. let's face it, this team right this right now is is finishing out the string for this season. Yeah. And so what it means in terms of all that, I don't necessarily think matters. I think what matters is just philosophically, they need to get to a point where they're not relying on these guys, these unreliable players anymore. And I think that they're relying on guys like JC Jackson. Obviously, they traded back for him out of desperation at that position. And they're relying on guys like JC. They're relying on guys like Jack Jones because they don't have a lot of talent on this roster. And those guys have talent. And so they're the ones that are getting these opportunities with the Patriots now. And I'm not saying that they have to go and like draft only boy scouts and like, dude, I'm not saying that, but they need to get players that they can rely on. That's an important thing. Like maybe as uh, almost as important in some respects as talent is guys that, that buy in and guys that want to be here and guys that want to play hard every week. And I think that this team has fallen into a trap of you know desperation needing talent i don't think that he's in the exact same category as the two corners but i mentioned it with trent brown a little bit earlier like they are so and we we say it before they're so reliant on trent brown and trent brown is an unreliable guy at times so they have to get out of this rut of having a lot of guys on the roster who are. Uh, in that category and, and I would say that it starts with the cornerback position just because of what's going on right now and those two guys being kind of the poster childs of this whole thing but like next season they need to get into a position where JC Jackson and Jack Jones are not projected starters for this team because can't be, they can't be relied upon in, in such a big well
0: play. so that that's where this is interesting for me like JC Jackson there's there's no more money on his contract they can cut him they're out from the cap hits all of it he won't be back next year Jack Jones is an interesting one, because we know they like him. Or at least before this, we know they liked him. And you, it, it was clear what they were setting up. Christian Gonzalez and Jack Jones as your boundary corners, with Marcus Jones on the slot, and Jonathan Jones kind of as your floater. And that's what they wanted the secondary to be. And we talked about this a lot last offseason. They did not have enough size at that position, enough true boundary corners, and it hurt them. And Jack Jones is a guy that plays on the boundary if he's not coming back now you add corner to the list of needs and maybe it's a guy like isaiah bolden coming back next year and performing he obviously had a good summer before he got hurt and got placed on ir but if you're going to tell me jack jones isn't a starter next year i'm telling you okay cornerback is now up there on the list of need for the patriots and that's added to the list and that list is growing and there's they have a lot of cap space but there's only so much you can do in one offseason
1: yeah i i I agree with you that it does complicate things if you add corner because i i've been of the school of thought that their high-end assets their cap space their top 50 picks like those should all be going all of it should be going to offense in my mind like you had your defense draft last year bill right like you got the chance to draft all your defensive missing pieces last year now if it's christian gonzalez It's Jonathan Jones back and kind of the, you know, inside outside travel with those Z receiver types. If those are your two linchpins in that group and really all you're looking for is that, that elusive third corner that we keep talking about that I I feel like they haven't had in what, since like Jason McCourty or something like that, Uh, they haven't really had that, that reliable, stable third corner. I, that is I, I think something that you could probably find in the middle rounds like I don't think you necessarily need to uh, address that with this with a top 50 pick like you'll probably get that in the third or fourth round you know maybe a guy like Marcus Jones comes back and he's your nickel and, and John Jones still plays that kind of inside outside role Gonzalez is obviously your number one boundary corner and that that's how it gets put together I, I just think that in general it, the Jack Jones thing it, it's it's to me it's over with Jack Jones yeah. like not only did we know that he had all these concerns coming in, in the draft with all the stuff in college that went on with him that made him a, a later round pick than he should, probably should have been just on talent alone uh, his, Do we We all remember how his rookie season ended with the Patriots right like they, they suspended right. him and shut right. him down and, and now we have this thing with the curfew like it's time to just cut bait with Jack Jones it's just not going to work here
0: all right, let's get back to ups and downs. So first down was receivers for both of us. Uh, my second down, I actually have four. Uh, my second down is tackling. Tackling, yeah. it, it's been a problem the last three weeks. They were a good tackling team at the beginning of the year, but especially this week as we look ahead to the Colts, a team that runs hard, has good ball carriers, they just they need to be better tacklers, plain and similar. And it's one thing when it's guys in the secondary, but when we have Juwan Bentley missing tackles, or I should say corners, when we have Juwan Bentley missing tackles, when we have Kyle Duggar missing tackles, we have Adrian Phillips, those are guys that are supposed to be sure tacklers, and they weren't last week.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, tackling is, you know, I had it as just the entire secondary. Okay. But I think tackling is is a fair way to put it, and that, that it was mostly those guys that were missing the tackles, right? So uh, th- this is one of the worst uh, secondary, you know, the games for the secondary uh, that I have seen the Patriots play since we started doing this, Alex. Like this was... This was not professional. Uh, they were missing tackles. They are busting coverages left and right. Uh, they weren't overly competitive in coverage in this game in any way, shape, or form. Like, whether they were busting the coverage or they had their, uh, you know, they were tied together. They were just getting beat when they were tied together. Uh, So it didn't really make a difference one way or the other. You know, the big play to Pringle, like across the field throw that Sam Howell made, it's just a busted coverage. They just don't have a flat defender in the zone. So there's just a wide open space for Pringle to just catch like a ridiculous throw from Sam Howell that should never work in the NFL. Uh, But it worked because there's just nobody over there on that side of the field. Uh, they, they, I don't remember, you know, from just a fundamental standpoint, you know, knowing the coverage structure, you know, guys being in the right places, guys making tackles. I don't remember the Patriots' defense in the back end ever looking this bad. Uh, it, this was a, a disaster game for all those guys. And uh, I, I really don't think there are any sacred cows in that. Like, I, I don't think any of them played very well at all. And uh, it, it was – that's, what I think, one of the most frustrating things – about this team and right now and about this record if they just were buttoned up with the details and the fundamentals and they didn't give up quarterback scrambles for 24 yards on oh, third and we're 20, gonna get to that yeah if they just made these types of plays you know they don't bust coverages all that type of thing like they'd be okay defensively would they be this great defense no of course not but they would be okay defensively and they they just aren't doing those things and that's why they're losing games like they this game and i said at the beginning like this game should have just been like one of those ho-hum patriots games that we've seen over the last couple of years right where a who knows what sam howell type of quarterback comes in here and they just win the game 20 to 17 because they're just buttoned end up enough on the details that they get away with some mistakes and that was just not this game at all. That's not how they played at all, especially in the secondary. Okay,
0: speaking of not being buttoned up on the details, my third down, special teams. It, it was yeah. bad. It was bad. And, and so I'll say this: Chad Raul and Bryce Baringer were good. They were good in this game, both. Beyond them, that was one of the worst special teams games I've seen the Patriots play. You had the the kickoff return, off the off the jump, but late in the game. I to, the Mac Wilson penalty, and I know some people have looked at it and, and try to see is he lined up offsides or not. Really, in that situation, it shouldn't even be close. Yeah, you and should it not. Even
1: like, it wasn't even a punt rush, right? Like right. it's not like they were even trying to block it,
0: right? They, they don't give the ref the referees that window to call that that situation. All of it a bad penalty, and then Brendan Schooler with the hold as well, which was a little bit of a sell job. But again, don't put yourself in that situation. Uh, cost Patriots significant field position. The Mac Wilson penalty cost them timeouts. Cost them time late in the game. And again, the details are just not there on special teams, which for a team that emphasizes special teams as much as they do, and has some good special teams players. Again, I think the, the, the rookies, the kicker and punter, have been good this year. I know Ryland has some misses, but they're long. They're, they're not chip shot kicks that he's missing. And Beringer shanked a couple of kicks early in the year, but he's been buttoned up since. I hope we get to see him hit the scoreboard this weekend in Germany. But the details aren't there. The, de- the, yeah. the whole thing with, like, all right, well, Joe Judge is going to go to special teams and get it back to what it was in 2018, 2019. We haven't seen that yet. No.
1: no. And, and this, I just think, speaks to the, the bigger picture issues of this team of, like, if they're not buttoned up defensively and they don't just have this, like, sound – Defensive structure, and they're also making all these mistakes on special teams. Like, that's Bill Belichick, right? Like, that's his bread and butter in those two areas. And if the team isn't responding to the coaching in those two areas anymore, then that's a that I don't know how you really look at it any other way uh, in terms of all of the, the way that this has gone so far this season with Bill. And the fact that those are the areas that are letting him down, maybe the most outside of, you know, obviously the passing game and the quarterback. Like, they had to have known coming into the season that their passing game wasn't going to be this, like, top-five drop-back passing game. Like, they weren't going to ever be Miami or Kansas City or one of these just great passing offenses. So they had to win in these other areas, and they're not even doing that right now. Uh, So that's really problematic. The special teams thing, they had opportunities at the end of this game to put the offense – on some shorter fields and make it easier on the offense to you know get that go ahead score or at least tie the game and they'd started their last three drives inside their own 10-yard line and this offense is not going to drive 90 plus yards to win the game it's just not so you have to be able to win those field position things you know the third down uh, third and 2 right they hit that little crossing right. route over the middle the offsides and all that stuff like that those are the types of things that are just absolute killers for for this team right now because the field position when you're trying to win on the margins the field position is really important like that's how you're going to win games is by doing those types of things and, and they're not doing them right now
0: what's your uh, third down
1: uh, so I had the secondary, I had uh, the, the two receivers, Taekwon yeah. and Rager, and I had Mack as okay. a down as well in this game. We, we've already litigated Mack enough, but I just would say just to, to button it up, you know, the last yeah. thing, if I was Bill O'Brien, and, if, and I think that this has got to be what they're doing, like you just got to come to him and just be like, look, slow down, right? Like just relax a little bit. Like your protection's been a little bit better. Um, You know, you're not going to your receivers. We know what you're working with, but just trust the play Trust the protection and and just go out there and play calmer Uh, You're you're all sped up and you're you're letting yourself unravel Like just calm down settle your feet down Settle your eyes down and just play football and I think that's what they have to get to with Mac I, I wonder with him uh, how much do you think you know, Is he maybe thinking about all these other factors Like he gets asked that after the game And I know you know people uh, that, that like to get all hot and bothered about these types of things Talked about it on some other shows And things like that About uh, the response to Mike Giardi's question About um, the, the, the lack of Open receivers That he has to throw to And I don't Whether he agrees with the criticism or not I'm more concerned about him Believing the criticism right like, sure uh, uh him th- sitting there saying well i just how am i supposed to do th-? and then it and then it becomes like this impossible task just to make throws even when they're there and, and if you're mac you you have to remove yourself from the narratives and, and just focus on what you can control and what you can do at, the, at your position and then see where it goes from there
0: so i i did you just do three ups three downs you don't Yes. Okay, so I, I'll say on that I because I, I have one more down and I, I want to get into the Colts, but you I think it was it was the open to the mailbag this week, right? That you wrote about yeah. Mac Jones. So Evan, I I couldn't have nailed couldn't have hit the nail on the head anymore about Mac Jones standing with the team, where the faults lie, for how he's played, for how the offense has played. Um, I, I thought and I, I know some screen grabs of it were going around on Twitter, but I thought Evan did a fantastic job. On that, and you know I'm serious because I'm complimenting Evan here out <laughs> right? in the open. Right, I know. Um, no, it's like so. I would encourage people after this day in history, <laughs> I would encourage people after the show to go check that out. I and and he knows I'm being sincere because I texted him about it. Uh, I think he did a fantastic job of that. I didn't read the rest of the mail back. I'll be honest, I forget <laughs> Some, I was going to, and something happened. But the oh, I was so blown away by what you wrote about Mac Jones and how well I think you dissected the situation. I have one more down in Evan. This is going to be a first on ups, ups and downs. It actually includes the Patriots opponent from the game. It includes both teams. Uh the entire two-minute drill at the end of the first half. Both ways. <laughs> this was one of the worst sequences of football I have ever seen. So let's pick it up with 146 to go in the second quarter. Pa- Dietrich Wise gets a sack. Good job. Third and 23 for the commanders. You're thinking, all right, like maybe if they pick up like 20 here, they get in field goal range, Patriots are gonna get the ball back for like a minute and a half to go, a couple timeouts. Instead. Sam Howell breaks three tackles of Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills, and Jack Jones and gets a 24-yard scramble on 3rd and 23. Evan, I looked it up earlier this week. Yeah. In the last, uh, the data only goes back on pro football reference to 1994. Third and 23s converted, not on penalty. It's only happened seven times. Well, I guess now eight. And only three of them, I think, were uh, are on the ground. Sorry, converted on the ground. It's only happened a handful of times. Tim Tebow had one. Patrick Mahomes had one. Um, doesn't happen a lot. So that was a breakdown. And you think, oh, boy, all right, here we go. And then, boom, Sam Howell comes back. Next third down, hits Byron Pringle. First, He hits him down to the five-yard line. It's a good tackle by Miles Bryant. It's the only good play in this sequence. It's a good throw by Hal to Pringle to get down there, and Miles Bryant makes a good tackle to keep Pringle in bounds. So the clock is now running. The Commanders have all three timeouts, but the clock is running. 42 seconds to goal, first and goal from the five. So you think, all right, boom, you hit him with the timeout. Now you got 40 seconds, two timeouts, five yards to go. It's all on the table. You can run the ball, you can throw the ball. Even if you take a sack, you have options. So I'm waiting for the timeout, and Washington's not calling one, okay. So you're going to hurry up to the line, right? And then that way you have all three timeouts and you're probably going to get the ball off with like a little under 30 seconds to go, but you have all three timeouts, so it's fine. You can run all four downs. No, they're taking their sweet time getting up to the line in what is a close game at the half, in what is a 14-10 game. So I'm like, all right, I guess they don't want to give the ball back to the Patriots with too much time. I don't know what about this Patriots offense makes them feel that way, but sure. They finally snap the ball. There's 23 seconds left. They burned 20 seconds of a crucial two-minute drill, lollygagging their way to the line. They finally get the ball off. No, I don't think anybody knows what the play is, so in, in the 20 seconds, they didn't bother to call a play. Sam Howell rolls out, just instantly boots out to his right. Nobody's open. I'm thinking, all right, he's going to throw the ball away. I, I guess it's a de facto timeout. More time ran off the clock than they needed to, but they still have all three timeouts. They'll so still probably be able to run all four plays. Instead, he throws the ball directly to Kyle Tugger. And you had a team at one point, third and 23 backed up. All right, Patriots getting get a shot at a two minute drill. Patriots blow the third down. Then it's like, all right, the commanders are going to have a chance for points here. Neither team ends up with points, nor should they have. That was just <laughs> what a sequence of football.
1: Yeah, that
0: was. Like- it was it was something.
1: Yeah, I, I was. You know, we sit in the press box. You know where I sit, but I'll explain. Like me and Fred and Paul yeah. and Deuce, we all sit together at home games, which is always fun. And all of us are just like, "Oh my good! Like what a just bad football!" football. Bad, burn bad, the tapes.
0: And again, I'm, it's both teams. It's they. they, they, they the Patriots had a gaff, and you're like, "Wow, this could be like a yeah. game-defining gaff." And the Commanders came out and said, "Hang on a second here." Yeah. You think you're going to have the biggest gaff of this two-minute drill? Watch this. Hold our beer. Yeah, I, I, you blow a tackle. You blow a tackle. To yeah. not call the timeout there, and then if Sam Howell throw the ball directly to Kyle Duggar is just.
1: But, what, and what are I, you I doing? Think, you know, just in general, not to like pile on the commanders is not you know a commander's show. But, right. Uh, in general, I think that that's such a good point of just. I I really have to wonder, if that situation for Sam Howell doesn't feel so rushed. Right, if he throws that pick, right, like because oh yeah, you're just at that point as a quarterback, like you're just thinking like I'm running out of time in the half. I gotta like we gotta make something happen. Like I, you just get frazzled, right? right? Like it just it just snowballs on you from there, and then you make a bad decision. Like that was really the only bad decision he made the entire day, was that throw, and, and so it, it just it just goes to show how young quarterbacks, and that's another young quarterback, a second yeah. year guy that's really making his first couple of starts in the league. Like it just goes to show how helpful it can be to just settle guys down and, and just give them time to breathe with over the course of a drive over the course of a game. Uh, but yeah, you, 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 nailed it there with the, uh, <laughs> that ending was, was horrible. It was terrible.
0: Go back and watch it. If you want to laugh again, it, it was both. It was just, I, I, I don't know that there's anything. I always say like, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from that? Your point about the young quarterback is good, but I, I don't know. There's anything to learn from it. I just thought it was funny. I just wanted to bring it up. I enjoyed it. All right, let's go to Todd, North Carolina, and then we'll get to the Colts. Todd, how are we doing today? Hey, guys. I like the insights, but uh,
2: I just feel right now that this entire team is broken from the top down. Belichick looks like he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't understand what's going on and why it's not working. You take a look at the coaches, and they're just, you know, they're looking and they're trying to console each other. It just seems like nothing wants to work, and I don't know what big solution is because it's just they're not on the same page they're
0: making mistakes everywhere alright thanks for the call Todd I'll I'll say this I don't think there's an issue with Bill Belichick's want to I really don't hearing him talk after that commanders game that was not a guy that he did not have the mood of a guy that was all right. we lost another game whatever it is what it is this is what the season is no he's legitimately bothered by the way this team is playing and whether or not he's the guy to turn it around is another question. But I, I don't think he's quitting. I'll, I'll say that. I don't think he has yeah. come close to quitting. I think he still very much cares. I think these losses still very much bother him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I don't think quitting is in Bill Belichick's DNA. No,
0: no. And the whole thing about, like, tank, he's not going to tank. Yeah. He is not go. it's not happening. He's no. not going to purposely start losing games. He's not going to stop caring about winning yeah. and losing games. And nor should he, by yeah. the way. To say, to let me say that if, if, if you you should tanking. I've said this before. Tanking happens at the general manager level and above, but because Bill is both, you default to the coach level. It, he's a real competitor. He's out there to win. He's not wasting time. He's not wasting his time. He's not wasting anybody else's time. He's out there to win, and I give him credit for that.
1: I honestly, my my bigger concern with, with the coaching and with Bill is not necessarily about him quitting. I don't have any. I that's not even in my my rationale right you know like that's not even on my brain but I know and we know Alex from covering the team like how hard these coaches coach these players like they're they they have long hours they have long meetings their corrections can be really brutally honest sometimes like when they get in there and that's why I always feel somewhat comfortable like criticizing players and criticizing the team because I know that what they're hearing, the the critiques and the, the corrections that they're getting from the coaching staff are, are 10 times worse than what we're saying. Yeah. I promise you that. Like they, And when I say 10 times worse, I mean the volume of it is because they know all the little details of how they're screwing up. Not just Right. The big how many stuff times we, do we
0: say, you know, we don't know what the call is, so we can't right. definitively say they know what the call is. Right. I hope.
1: Right. Like this is a coaching staff that – Ha- goes about it and says, like, we this is a six-yard route and you ran it at five and a half yards and we need you to run it at six, right? <laughs> like, right. Like that. That's the type of stuff that you hear about how they coach players. So we know that this is a coaching staff that has a lot of smart football minds on it and that makes those tough corrections and isn't afraid to say the tough things in the room. And the players aren't responding to it anymore. Like, the players are not getting any better. They're not clean, they're, they're poor fundamentally. Like, they're, they're not, it's not working. It's the message is not being received. And if the message isn't being received anymore, then I, I, I don't, that's a big problem that needs to be addressed. Because it's not, you know, Bill Belichick's not going in there and saying, like, you know, bust the coverage, uh, draw, go off sides, draw a hold on, you know, like that, it, he's not t- saying those types of things. We know that. So the mistakes are being made because it's not getting through. The message is not resonating with the players. I mean, we talked about special teams earlier, Alex. They got punished in the offseason for having too many special teams. Right, right. They, They spend too much time on special teams, yet they are 30th in the league in DBOA on special teams. They're one of the worst special teams units in the National Football League despite having three dedicated special teams coaches and five dedicated special teams players.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That,
1: that, that's coach. Like, the message isn't getting crossed anymore. Period.
0: All right. Uh, we'll take Patty and Aglum's call real quick, and then we'll get to the Colts. And I do want to get to the draft news, too, so we're going to have to make it quick here. Patty, what's up?
2: I'll make it quick. Morning. So I have to- I had this thought in my head the other day. How would you guys feel if you remain in the same draft position that we're in now? It's straight down, I know it's not popular, possibly pick up Roman Dunze and Michael Penix. That's all I got. I'll take it off the air.
0: So the old pair that... Roman Dunze and Michael Penix. The old pair the, uh, pair the quarterback with the college receiver thing. I don't know that you're going to be able to do that. You're going to probably need two top 20 picks to do that. And you trade back there's no team the only team that has two first round picks is the bears and they're both going to be top five so i just don't know what that situation presents itself i wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it i i just think that that's asking a bit too much
1: yeah i, I mean that would be great right I right mean, i think that when they drafted mac obviously it's kind of a similar situation i have my dream has always been to try to pair him with Devonte smith and right. that's it's impossible, right? You know, it just right. wasn't going to happen uh, in that draft for similar reasons. So that that would work out perfectly if it, if you could do, you know go about doing that. um But I I, I just I, I don't really know. You know, I I think that if you're going to address quarterback and receiver in the same draft or the same off season, uh, excuse me, you're going to have to pay the receiver in veteran free agency. Like right. that's you're going to have to go out in the veteran market and get the receiver that way.
0: All right, let's move on to this Patriots-Colts matchup. And as I see here, talking about NFL Network, the rivalry. Evan, real quick, your favorite Patriots-Colts rivalry moment. Oh, wait, they're asking a trivia question. Let's see if you can get this. Which Patriots running back ran for career-high 201 yards in one game versus the Colts in 2014?
1: You Me? Yeah. Oh, you don't think I can get that one? Come on. A,
0: Steven Ridley. B, Jonas Gray. Gray C, Shane Vereen. D, James White.
1: Uh, Jonas Gray.
0: I can't believe it was only 201 yards. It felt like 500. It, it so felt like a little bit more. That's up there for my favorite Patriots-Colts moments. What's your favorite patriots Colt moment?
1: So, I, it wasn't a playoff game. So it, Interesting. There, that caveat. Uh, William McGinnis' goal line stop.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a it's, good one.
1: Th- that one's still my favorite. Like, there's no way that you would have thought that they were winning that game. Like, it looked so crystal clear like that game was over, right? Yeah. It, it, that That was... That was my, my favorite moment. I the, the Ty Law three interception game in the playoffs was so, great,
0: too. on the same way, uh, Ty Law's interceptions, and, and then, you know, in the snow and everything, that was like peak Patriots early dynasty. That was everything you wanted from those games in the snow, in the playoffs, big-name players making plays, Peyton Manning crying. Uh, that one was awesome. The Willie McGinnis goal line stands a great play. Uh, Jonas Gray, and then also, let's not forget the, uh, the fake punt that never was.
1: Oh, yeah. Right.
0: That's got to be up there as well. But different game now. Patriots and Colts playing for the third time in three years. Colts won two years ago. That kind of kicked off that backslide for the Patriots at the end of the 2021 season. Last year, Colts came in the game after firing their offensive coordinator. They run a backup quarterback, Sam Ellinger. Patriots pants them. So rubber match, neutral site, fun game. Let's start with quarterback, Gavin. Start quarterback Gardner Minshew is filling in. Uh, Anthony Richardson obviously out for the year. I was looking forward to this game mainly because I wanted to watch Anthony Richardson. That's not going to happen now. Here's something interesting about Gardner Minshew. In Gardner Minshew's career, he's thrown for over 300 yards eight times, including once this year. How many of those games has he won, Evan?
1: Oh, I would assume like – one or two. It's all garbage time. Zero. Stuff, right? Yeah. Zero. He's, he, he's garbage time Minshew. Like, that's that's his bread and butter right there.
0: First and foremost, responsibility for the Patriots this week. Stop the run. It was what killed them two years ago in Indy in that game at the end of the 2021 season. I believe Jonathan Taylor didn't play last year. Yeah. Right? So, we
1: know Taylor can get them. We talked no, about John, their... Jonathan Taylor didn't play in the game last year. Yeah, Right. The that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. The game in Indy, he, he did.
0: He Oh, he, he very played. much did yeah. play. Yeah, yeah. He, he was yeah, yeah. a beast. So, this is a guy that I had trouble with. He's a guy that knows how to break tackles. We talked about the tackling issues earlier. You got to hit Jonathan Taylor early. You can't let him build ahead of steam. So, to go back to ups and downs, Evan. My two ups from the defense. Remember, I said there were only two guys that played well defensively. Devon yeah. Godshaw, Christian Barmore. Massive game for those two this week. Massive game those two need to show up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a big game for the running. You know, I, look... I, I think what's weird about the Colts is that, from my perspective, Anthony Richardson, it looks so much better with Anthony Richardson. Like, just aesthetically, you know, the eye test. But if you look at it statistically, their offense has basically been the same with Gardner Minshew in terms of production. Gardner
0: Minshew's not bad. This isn't like your normal backup quarterback. Gardner Minshew, for the stat I gave you at the beginning, it's not a bad. He's probably yeah. somewhere between, like, the 30th and 40th best quarterback in the league. He, he's, he's a serviceable he, plug-and-play guy.
1: He's a 4A player, right? Yeah. Like, he, he's he's not—he's a high-end backup. Yeah. Uh, he's probably one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. I would say so. Yeah, but with—
0: This isn't some helpless, like, second-year, you know, court, seeing an NFL defense for the first-time quarterback. This is a guy who's been around, and, and he's won some games.
1: Yeah, yeah, and—, and they're, like I said you know from an EPA perspective their offense literally produces the exact same EPA with it with Gardner Minshew as it does with Anthony Richardson like literally the exact same number so hey, when you look at this group uh, I've been really impressed uh, you know with with Deichen, obviously I, I, I think he, he can coach uh, offense now I I don't know enough about him as like a CEO of a football team, right? Like, I don't know if he's a leader of men and does all the other things that take a head coach to do. Uh, but in terms of scheming offense, uh, they are running the Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts. And the idea was just to have Anthony Richardson be their Jalen Hurts. Uh, it hasn't necessarily worked out that way just because of Richardson's injury, but uh, they're still doing a lot of the same things with Minshew that they were would have done with Richardson. A lot of RPOs on early downs, uh, option runs. Like There's still a lot of that in this offense. I mean, Minshew a couple of weeks ago against Cleveland had like a 17-yard touchdown run on one of the Eagles patented, you know, run, run, pass options, right? Where there's like a quarterback run element, there's a a handoff element and then there's a pass on element. So it's all those things is one. So I I think that this is a difficult scheme to play without a ton of familiarity with the team, right? Like if you're an NFC team, it can be, I think this can be a little bit like what's going on here uh, at times. Now the Patriots played the Eagles earlier on in the year so I guess they have that advantage of they've kind of already faced this offense once before, but of course, as we've all you know talked about at Nazi, you know, that you had Judon, he had Christian Gonzalez, he had much different personnel back then. Uh, so I don't look at this offense as one that you have to worry about being overwhelmingly more talented. It's kind of similar to last week, honestly, where I talked up you know Eric Bieniemy and that that offense and ended up you know throwing for over 300 yards on the Patriots. Uh, it's a well-coached offense. It, they put a lot of challenging things at you schematically, offensively, and if you're not ready to play this game, then Gardner Minshew can move the ball. Like I, I don't think that he's a complete, um, you know, terrible quarterback where they could do all these things right, X's and O's wise, but it just doesn't work out because Minshew stinks.
0: All right, talk to me about Michael Pittman. You said you liked what you saw from him. Tell me what yeah, you saw. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I, I think this is a, a. I'm glad you brought this up because one of the the little sneaky things that I'm going to be doing in this game is is actually watching somebody else on the other team uh which to be honest I don't I don't really do that that often Alex like it's not something that I really do very much Uh, but Michael Pittman's a free agent uh going into next offseason I mentioned earlier that if you're indeed you have a young stud potential quarterback here with Anthony Richardson based off of how he played when he was healthy you probably want to keep Pittman around. Like That's probably a guy that you're gonna lock up long-term. Uh, but I think it should be said that Pittman has basically been a thousand yard receiver playing with Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan as his quarterbacks. And then this year, a rookie in Gardner Minshew. So he hasn't really uh, played with a ton of, it's not like he's out there playing with Patrick Mahomes and he's catching a hundred balls a year. Uh, he's a really good route runner for his size. You know, he's got that big frame. Uh, so he can win down the field above the rim, but he also has that ability uh, to break off routes at the intermediate level, you know, digs, outs, things like that, to keep a defender honest. Uh, so I, I'm impressed with his film as, a, like, a, a true prototypical X receiver. Uh, and if the Patriots want to look at that spot, which they should be in the off season, and, and looking to upgrade Devontae Parker, I think that's exactly what Michael Pittman is, is a younger, better Devontae Parker.
0: Well, he, he was a guy I remember too. Like they, they met with him going into the draft, right? They liked him going into the draft, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I liked him a little bit going into the draft too. Uh, what my concern was with him, with in terms of fitting him into the system, because he is his downfield opportunities are going to come on jump balls, right? Like that's going to be a lot of his verticals are going to be throw it up to him and see if he can make a play on the ball. And we know how that skill set hasn't necessarily worked here in new England, Uh, but he can run routes. Like he can break down and run routes and and create separation at the top of the route. Um, Maybe a little bit better than I thought coming in based off of what he's put on tape with the Colts. So uh, intriguing player, if he hits, you know, free agency, that's somebody that, Maybe T Higgins doesn't, or maybe T Higgins is a thirty million dollar guy in free agency, and they end up going the route of, of somebody more a little bit more affordable. Then I think that's sort of T Higgins, and then number two in that class to me right now is Michael Pittman.
0: All right, we're we're kind of rolling through this because we got to be off by eleven fifty because uh, uh, Patriots Unfiltered is coming up next, and so we got to let them set up for that. You know, I feel like when we talk about the Patriots' offense in this game, it's same things every week, right? What, is the rotation, what does the rotation look like at wide receivers? Kayshawn Booty playing. How much does DeMario Douglas play? How are they lining it up on the offensive line? How are things going to go there? Can Mack look comfortable in the pocket? Is, is it just the status quo again for the offense this week, or is there anything that changes with this matchup?
1: Yeah, and, and really the other thing is, is, well, you remember the game last year, and that was probably one of the worst offensive games of football I've ever watched. Uh, between these two game uh, teams, and last year DeForest Buckner just completely ruined the game for the Patriots, and Cole Strange got benched because of DeForest right. Buckner. Uh, so, like you said, this is a, a a big litmus test game for this offense. It's a similar defense. Same defensive coordinator, they changed head coaches, but they kept Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator. And uh, Gus Bradley runs a Seattle three defense. He's like one of the, he's a dying breed. He's like one of the last guys that's holding out on, on changing his, his philosophy. Uh, they play more zone coverage than any defense in the NFL. They play more cover three than any defense in the NFL. Uh, they are a Seattle three defense still. Now, a lot of teams that have branches from that tree have been uh, become more like quarters based, you know, like Fangio. Uh, type of defenses because of, you know, you can't, teams just have figured out how to take down the the cover three stuff. Like it's just, with all these offenses that can throw the ball down the field and and all these passing attacks, it it becomes problematic to play that much single high. So teams have morphed this system. Not Gus Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Gus Bradley's just still doing his thing. Uh, But they they do it at a pretty decent level. Like, they're, like, middle of the pack in in, uh, DVOA. But I I do think that this is a team, because they play so much zone coverage, there's going to be some open receivers down the field in this game. Like, we always talk about that. Man coverage, it's about the receivers getting open. Zone coverage, you can beat zone coverage just with good scheme. So if O'Brien can scheme some guys open against this team, which I think they will be able to, uh, then it becomes on the protection and DeForest Buckner. And can they, they hang, you know, can they hold off that front four? You know, Buckner's a good player. I think Quiddy Pay is a good pass rusher. Uh, that they, they have some guys, at uh, Epucan, that can rush the passer. Uh, so let's see what it looks like up front, and let's see if, you know, Cole Strange can keep himself from getting benched again against DeForest Buckner.
0: All right, so that's it. Evan will have his game preview. I think your, your preview is already up, right, on Patriots.com. Yes. Uh, my game preview will be up tomorrow morning, 98.5thesportshub.com. Because there is one more story I want to talk about. And, I, you know, people always are asking us to talk about the draft. Did we yeah. lose Evan there? No, he's back. Okay. Um, people are always, you know, we talk about the draft a lot. And, and specifically, we're big on the, the All-Star games. Obviously, we went to the Shrine Bowl last year. We've covered the Senior Bowl extensively as well. There's other games, the, the Legacy Bowl, the well, Hula well, Bowl. Well,
1: like As you're talking about this, I I, I can't say with 100% certainty, but uh, Mobile might be in our future, Alex. So it's, we might be back. It, and, it's looking good. It's so, looking good for Mobile.
0: And we may see more than what we would typically see because Adam Schefter reported this yesterday. College juniors who declare for the draft are now eligible to play. In all of these games So in the past It was very specific Very few circumstances In which non-seniors Could play in these games Yeah That's gone Now And I think What the league's trying to do Is encourage some of the top prospects To not stay in college Which is an easier decision now With the NIL And things like that Um, Right I, I have mixed feelings About this Evan Because on one hand I think There are guys That come out as juniors By the way There were 69 juniors That entered the draft last year out of 400-something players. So you're not talking about that many players, relatively speaking, but these are going to be elite prospects. These are not day three fringe draft pick guys. You come out as a junior, you're probably a pretty good player. You're probably going in the top 200. On one hand, we're now going to get to see these guys in that competitive format, which is valuable when it comes to evaluating prospects. And I like that. On the other hand, that's now more players that are available, so does it push some of those fringe draft guys. DeMario Douglas a perfect example. Does DeMario Douglas get the invite if there were, you know, 70-something juniors between the Senior Bowl and and Shrine Bowl that were available? Does it push some smaller school guys, a guy like Marte Mapu? Does it push them out of the picture? So, again, I'm torn on it. Ultimately, I I, I would like to see more of those fringe guys, more of the seniors that are, you know, a guy guy like... um, a guy like Brock Purdy is a great example. I, I, he wasn't an elite prospect, but he ended up making the cut because there weren't that many quarterbacks in that draft. He goes to the Shrine Bowl. It was a big deal. Yeah. So I'm, I'm mixed on it. I think it's definitely going to be good for certain players, and it might be good for the draft. I just think it gets rid of some of those fun, more underdog stories that I know you're not as interested in as the draft that I love in the draft.
1: No, I'm actually with you on this, believe it or not, because of some of the guys that you just mentioned, like a, a Pop Douglas. Yeah. And I, I'm interested. You know, I, I'll probably uh, reach out when I get back to, to Galco about this. Like, how do you how do you keep the Pop Douglases of the world safe, right? Like right. How do you like? How are those guys still involved in the game? Because to me, uh, in our experience last year at the Shrine Bowl, is so great because we. I, I, how do I phrase it? I don't want to say we found Pop Douglas because that's not the right way to say it, but you know what I'm trying to so say. So if like you
0: go on, if you go on NFLMockDraftDatabase.com and it tracks, it's a website yeah. that basically tracks the stock of all the players in the draft, Pop Douglas's stock spikes yeah. the week that we were at the Shrine Bowl. And there were not that many media members covering the Shrine Bowl the way we were covering us. it.
1: Just say it. It was all right.
0: We Right. We didn't <laughs> discover him as a prospect like GMs knew about him, right? We yeah. were the first media people talking about Pop Douglas.
1: Yeah. So Pop Douglas, like those types of guys, to me, the Shrine Bowl, and and I'm fingers crossed, but I think I'm safe in saying that we're probably going to be able to go to the Senior Bowl this year. Yeah. Uh, With the Senior Bowl, like that's what it is for me. I, I know who Drake May is, right? Like I know who the top prospects in the draft are. Who are the guys that on day two, day three right. um, that I like, that I want to you know, see more of, that I want to watch, you know, study their film? Look like, at you, guys? caring
0: about day three of the draft. This is great. Yeah,
1: Well, it's just, you know, like it's, it, day three matters too, right? Like punchers yeah. and kickers. Uh, so at some point you have to uh, let those guys have their moment. And like, now, like you said, if the roster is being filled up with, uh, you know, those top guys, yeah, it's probably better for, like, the marketability of the game. Yeah. And it's probably better for some of those players. But at the same time, I, I do worry about, you know, another perfect example, so not to just keep using Pop Douglas, yeah. Puka, Puka Nakua.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. Puka Nakua
1: went down to Mobile and had an unbelievable senior bowl week. And now he here, here we are with Puka Nakua in, in Los Angeles. So those are the types of guys that you worry about, um, you know, slipping through the cracks now even more. But uh, I think the one I'll give you another know
0: one, Kyle Duggar. Coming yeah. from D two and getting yeah. the experience, and he I mean, was
1: Cole Strange for that matter too. Yeah. Well, yeah, D-
0: Duggar times. was projected to be a top fifty pick, but you yeah. didn't know, you didn't see him against that level of competition until you got to the Senior Bowl. I'll give you two reasons for optimism, though. I think that will be okay. One, you are seeing more of the top top prospects, like you mentioned, Drake May. Yeah. Those first round top fifteen locks, more of those guys are now opting out of the games altogether. Right. And saying, if I go, I'm only going to hurt my stock, or I could get hurt, I'm staying home. So that opens up some spots. Also, the NFL allowing it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Jim Nagy could sit there and say, no, it's the senior Bowl. I'm not inviting yeah. running juniors. What are you talking about? right? Eric Galco could say, no, this is what this game is about. I yeah. want to make sure that I have enough small school prospects. So... We'll see how the games themselves handle it, but the NFL's opening the door. And I thought yeah, that was worth really interesting. Yeah, really quickly, and then they're, they're yeah. going to
1: run me off the stage here. Yeah. Well, I'm staying on the stage, but they're going to kick us off the air. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the one thing that I think is also interesting that I saw um, was that this could potentially open the door for more of these all star games. So, like. Okay, so
0: there's that too, yeah.
1: If the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl become just like real all star games where we're just talking about like really good prospects. Then maybe there's a chance that we could have like different, you know, four or five, six of these, you know, in right. the future, which for people like us like, would be awesome. So you know what? Make a junior bowl. Make an underclassman bowl. bowl. There you go. I I, right. I, I
0: I, was, I wondered for, so I always wondered how they'd get the, the underclassman fault. I thought it would be just making another bowl, not this. But anyway, all right. Yeah. We got to wrap yeah. it up. I could see yeah. Faith, who's been producing for us, is, like standing at the board ready to go take us <laughs> off the air. So we'll be back <laughs> next week. Same time, same place. Back on video, Evan. We'll be back from Germany. Yes. Uh, but in the meantime, Patriots Unfiltered coming up next. For Evan Lazar, I'm Alex Barr. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Evan will talk to you in about 10 minutes. We'll play and everywhere else you listen.